Hi, uh, good morning. Welcome to our online gathering for the Brook Church here in Miami. My name is Muchi Ukebu. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we exist as a church to grow a people from all people, to be passionate for God. That's both in Miami and beyond. One of the cool things is that even in the midst of this season, we've been seeing God just do that. He's been growing us inside our hearts and he's been growing us people uh, joining what God is doing here at the church. And so if this is your first time, wherever you are, man, one, we want to say thank you for, for joining with us, for gathering with us in this way, even though it's digitally. Um, but two, we want to invite you to in the comment section right now, like click on the link for first time guests, whether that's on YouTube or that's on Facebook, click on that link because we want to connect with you and connect you to what's going on in the life of our church, even in this um, moment and the various ways where we're trying to engage and serve uh, the city that we're in. And, and so again, if you're a first time guest, please uh, click that link and so we could connect with you. Also, if you have uh, children, uh, our, our children's ministry canvas that we have content for your kids as well so that they could continue to grow in this season as well and not be left behind. That link is in there also. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Genesis. Genesis chapter three is where we're going to spend the majority of our time uh, together today. We're actually starting a new series called Hide and Seek. Uh, the, the goal of this series is that we would recapture something that is absolutely necessary for our relationship with God to flourish and not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with others as well. But in order to recapture that, what we're, what we're going to be doing is over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack, examine and unpack the various ways in which we run and hide from God, as well as the various ways in which he comes and pursues us. Hide and seek, the ways we run and hide from God and the ways that God comes and pursues us. One of the reasons why we thought it appropriate to start that in this moment is, man, there is beauty in the chaos if we courageously look. As chaotic as things are globally, there's some beauty to be found if we look courageously. And I know that's hard to say, but it's necessary to hear. There's beauty to be found. One of the things that's occurring in our moment right now is there is this increased experience of margin for people. And so there's, there's almost more time and more space to think and to do even though what we're doing may be limited. There's this increase in margin, but there's not just an increase in margin, there's, there's also this greater so, so like awareness and sensitivity surrounding meaning, where, where values are being engaged with all differently. And so there's this atmosphere where, where we're being exposed. There's this atmosphere where we're face to face with what's going on in our hearts, and it's actually harder to hide from who we really are. That's a perfect environment to engage and to seek who God really is. And, and, and unfortunately, in this environment of exposure, we're also being confronted with the reality of vulnerability. You see, vulnerability is our nature. It's core to humanity. It's core to our wiring. It's core to our experience as humans. We're vulnerable, we, we laugh. We cry, we, we dream, we fear, we bleed. We're, we're vulnerable, we're delicate. I, I, I mean this not to make light of what's going on, but to bring a scope to who we are 
The entire globe has been brought to its knees for a disease. Humanity is, is vulnerable. It's our nature. But vulnerability isn't just our nature. It's, it's really almost like a nuisance. It's that thing that we, <laughs> we try to escape. So, so vulnerability, it's not just this core delicacy. It's also like this reality of exposure. And no one, like, we don't just naturally go out and say, man, you know what I want to do today? I want to bear the deepest, darkest parts of my soul for everyone. No, we, we, we scientifically, biologically, and spiritually almost have this aversion and recoil regarding vulnerability. It's, it's not just our nature. It's, it's almost treated as a nuisance. But, but one of the things we must see is not only is it our nature, and though we tend to treat it as a nuisance, it's absolutely necessary for vibrant, flourishing relationships. Vulnerability is like getting socks for your birthday or at Christmas, all right? Like, we're in that space, that wave where, like, Socks are kind of fashionable again, where you have like those cool socks, but it's like, you know, we're on the tail end of it. But even as fashionable as certain socks may be, you don't wish, like, you know what I want for my birthday today? Do you know what I'm hoping somebody gives me for Christmas? Socks. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't do that. You don't want that. But it may not be the thing that you want the most in the moment, but it's the thing that you eventually need. It's the gift we don't go looking for, but it's the gift that we need. Because absent of vulnerability, relationships can't thrive because core to it isn't just delicacy or exposure, it's risk. And, and risk enables us to, to pursue greater intimacy, to have new and more vibrant, more full experiences. Anyone who is trafficking in truth or trafficking in any sort of therapeutic engagement or influencing, whatever you want to call it, they are speaking on the power of vulnerability and its necessity to relationships. But that's not just something that's out there socially. That's something that exists spiritually. That it's core to a relationship, survival, and thriving. Yet, though it's necessary because of its dynamics as a nuisance, we tend to recoil from it. And by doing so, we tend to create relational dishonesty. That we have emotional, spiritual, and relational dishonesty in the lion's share of our relationships. In particular, the way that we relate to God. And so in the moments where we're, quote, unquote, most vulnerable, they're not moments where we lean in and we run towards him. In fact, they're moments where we tend to run and hide. What's glorious is that God still comes and pursues. And so as we unpack the variety of ways that we run and hide and the variety of ways of, that, we, that we see God come and pursue what is absolutely necessary is to start with a basis of all of that. Because there's various expressions of our running and our hiding and his coming and pursuing, but there's really a baseline that sets the foundation of it all. There's a core belief, if you will, 
behind all of the running and all of the hiding that takes place regarding our relationships, in particular our relationship with God. And there's a beautiful, even base core desire that takes place that exists behind God's coming and pursuing of us. So that's today. It's to look at that base belief behind our running and hiding, but that base, beautiful, core desire behind God's coming and pursuing. Now, even as we look at those base beliefs and that base desire, we have to build towards it. And to build towards it, we're going to see the whys and the how that causes us to run and hide, as well as the why and the how that causes God to come and pursue. For that, we're in Genesis chapter 3. We'll be in the entire chapter. Uh, that'll be the atmosphere of our time, but really we're going to focus on a few verses. Let me read verses 1 through uh, 13, and then we'll um, take it bit by bit. Verse 1, it starts like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you, that you were naked. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is a turning point in human history. We exist beyond Eden, where 
Sin has ravaged the world around us. Sin has ravaged the world inside us. Things don't function as they were intended to. There's thorns in the midst of roses. There's difficulty in the midst of beauty. We live in a post-Eden world, but we also live on this side of eternity. So while we're beyond Eden, we're waiting for eternity. And that space of living between Eden and eternity is one where challenges exist, but also fruitfulness exists as well. Relationship with God can thrive as it continues into forever. Genesis is an account of history. But it's not just an account of history. It isn't just, this is what happened back then. It's not just an account of history. It provides archetypes of humanity. So it, it doesn't just provide a picture to what happened. It, it provides patterns to who we are. And so, so don't disregard Genesis. You, you know how when something becomes familiar, we just kind of move past it? Like, we, we don't like hearing origin stories all the time, but origin stories matter. There's a reason why Batman doesn't use guns, okay? It's a great origin story. It's tragic. <laughs> Not technically for kids, but it's a great origin story. There's a reason why Peter Parker constantly says, with great power comes great responsibility. Origin stories matter. And Genesis gives us a glorious one that's filled with tragedy as well. In particular, in Genesis 3, if you've existed in a Christian context and somebody's preached this, people tend to hammer Adam. Silent, passive, fair. But in hammering Adam, they almost neglect the reality that Eve isn't just representing the gender of woman. She's not just representing a particular gender. In fact, she is verbalizing what Adam believes. In other words, she's all of us. You know, hammer him for his passivity, but don't neglect the reality that Eve is speaking for all of us. And Adam is speaking for all of us as well. And in her words, and even in the words of the interaction she's having with the serpent, we see the threefold dynamic of the why we run and hide from God. The, the first aspect of it is the picture of God we have. Notice verse 3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. She's doing something subtle there. She is adding a restriction to the commandment God gave. God didn't give the commandment, don't touch it. He said, don't eat of it. Now, some commentators will look at that and say, well, she's just misunderstanding the commandment. No big deal. I would, I would disagree with that in that the misunderstanding of the commandment is also a misunderstanding of God's character. God's commandments are tied to his character. They tell us who he is. 
And so when we misunderstand or misapply the commandments God gives us, it's not just that we don't understand the commandment, it's that there's a picture of God that we have that we're interacting with, first and foremost. There's a picture she has. Part of that picture is he's more restrictive than he actually is. The picture continues, though. So, so you, you drop down uh, uh, to, to verse 6. So when the, 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 the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so, so, so there's this picture of God being not as restrictive but also not as generous. It's, it's this inflation and distortion of who God is. Clearly, he's not generous enough because if he was, he wouldn't put this off limits. But at the same time, he's not really serious with certain things because if he was, then I would act in a way that says God really has a plan. But her picture is faulty. She does what we do, by the way. We, we tend to have this, God is generous but not serious, so he's more lax in life. Or God is serious but not generous, so he's more stern in life. That's the picture we tend to have. But here's what you, what you know. You know that pictures say a thousand words but they also produce a thousand responses. You know that someone could see something and respond to it differently. So uh, ESPN, the home of sports, doesn't really know what to do with itself right now. So some of what's going on on ESPN is very fascinating. But one of the things that they're doing that is gonna be glorious is this expose, this 30 for 30 on Michael Jordan and the greatness, which is he, Air Jordan, your highness, goat, right? But some people, when they hear Jordan, all they have is the picture of the crying Jordan meme. <laughs> I know this to be true, because I was talking to some people about who Jordan was, and I'm not gonna put them on blast, and they're like, oh, you mean that guy? You mean that guy who's, who was crying and his face is like superimposed on everything? That same picture produces different responses in people. Some people see that and they're like, man, I remember what took place. He was, he was talking about all that he had overcome, his motivation to get to the point that he was in his career. Other people are like, yo, that's just a great picture of somebody who is burying their souls. So we're just gonna laugh at their tears, which is kind of weird. And we respond differently. Pictures say a thousand words, but they also produce a thousand responses. Does the picture we have of God accord with the picture he paints of himself? We could tell if it does based on the ways that we respond. In this case, the picture that, that, that Adam and Eve had of God was distorted and the serpent knew it, pounced on it, prayed on it, gave them an alternative picture, an alternative promise, and they acted on it. That faulty picture is one of the things that causes us to run and hide. 
We don't see God for who he is. And so we interact with him in a way that's deficient. But it's not just this faulty picture. Notice there's also this pervasive suspicion. So, so they eat. Their, their progressive sin has now reached its, its climax. It's an anticlimactic moment. But their, their disbelief because of this distorted picture has now been full grown into this disobedience. And they, they eat. And it says this in verse 7. Their eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's a suspicion here that we're, we're meant to see. It's a suspicion that exists, not just with how they relate to God, but also how they relate to one another. One of the, I mean, it's the thing I love to do the most, it's weddings. Like I love standing before couples and charging them with the words of God putting a picture of God's design in front of them saying, yo, go get that. Go enjoy it. Don't idolize it, but man, enjoy it. And in every single wedding, just did a wedding a few weeks ago, because COVID doesn't have the last say, okay? In every single wedding, there's a point where we look at the, the husband and we look at the wife and, and what we say is, listen, in marriage, you are going to see your spouse in a way that no one else will. They are going to be naked in front of you, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And in those moments, we charge you not to lean into suspicion, but to with courageous strength, put on the mind of Christ. And the reason we're charging them not to lean into suspicion is because suspicion assumes intent. What's now taking place is this. Adam and Eve see each other in their nakedness and they now see that there's something in each other that could potentially harm them. And there's an assumption that's taking place that leads to this action of fig leaves. But it's not just assumptions, again, taking place in these horizontal relationships. It's one taking place with God. God comes down and they hide. The assumption is God is going to reject them. God is going to find out what they did and the relationship will be destroyed forever. That assumption, that suspicion grew into fear. Fear and suspicion go hand in hand, but it's, it's necessary to separate them so that we can see the ways that they function in our lives. Suspicion is assumption of intent. Fear is often anxiety of a potential future. One, one philosopher said, it's not that we fear the unknown. We fear the possibilities of the things we don't want the most. And so there's not just this faulty picture. There's this pervasive suspicion. And then there's this dividing, distancing fear. God comes, they leave. Fear of God finding them. Fear of God saying, what you've done 
has ruined this forever. You know what crushes me about this? It says that the Lord God came in the cool of the day. He came in the cool of the day. He did what he routinely did, which is walk with them. And before this, before this moment where they ran and hide, they, they would run towards him. This was a moment of past pleasure and delight, but now it's been distorted. It's a tragedy. Over the last year and a half, two years, man, I have had conversation over conversation where, where there has been this sense of people saying, you know what, I've progressed in my relationship with God. Yeah, I, I used to need like the word of God. I used to need Sunday experiences. I used to need prayer, but those things don't do it for me anymore. And, and that progression has been equated to maturity. That is not maturity, that's a tragedy. First off, when the things that God has set aside to be used to pull us close to him, don't do that anymore, that's not something that we model, that's something that we mourn. This is a tragedy. But what's absolutely glorious about this is that even in the midst of tragedy, there's hope and beauty. God comes. Adam, where are you? Now that is a question that is not rooted in geography. It's rooted in relationship. God is not wondering geographically where Adam is. God is asking him a question to reveal what's happening in a relationship. It's a relational question that God asked Adam in even that moment, but he asked us every day, where are you? Where are you? Fill your name in the blank. Where are you? Now, I'm, I'm saying that question needs to be asked, not assuming great distance from God, but to create greater awareness of our hearts so that wherever we are, we would see where God is, which is on the move towards us. God pursues. God pursues. It's this glorious truth that God is a God who pursues. So the best way I can explain it is like this. Man, like I love background music. Like I'm one of those, those guys that I have to work with music in the background. In fact, like the soundtrack to my life is some hybrid John Bellion, Kirk Franklin, Brooke Frazier, Aubrey Graham situation. Look at my sermon prep playlist. Don't judge me, all right? And, and I, I have it going in the background all the time. I've added some lo-fi to it, but it's in the background all the time. But there are certain moments where like it's in the background and then I hear a line and I just turn it, I crank it up because that line just does something to me. I'm like, oh yeah. And you know, you've done that, not necessarily because you like background music, but even if you've been in a car or you've been at home where you're, you're listening to something and there's that one part of the song that you're just like, yo, crank it up and you start singing along where it becomes heightened in the moment, if you will. God is always pursuing. 
But there's moments where it's heightened, where we feel it differently. And when we feel it differently, what we start to recognize is the nature of his pursuit, intentionality. Listen, God wasn't off somewhere busying himself while they were there disregarding who he is. God's never caught off guard by us or anything. He's always unfolding a greater, larger plan. The plan of all of history is for God to reveal the fullness of who he is and then invite people into the greatness of who he is, namely through Jesus. Sometime this week, even today, read Genesis chapter 3 and then read Matthew chapter 4 and contrast the greatness of Jesus against the backdrop of our brokenness. He's better. So when he, when he cranks up the volume of pursuit, what we start to see is this intentionality. We also see this personal dynamic to pursue. Adam, by name, called him. Where are you? But we also see that inherent to this pursuit is disclosure. It's display. In fact, that's the how. God pursues by dealing with the disconnect and then displaying who he actually is. But I got to deal with it to pursue you. And so 15 to the end of the chapter, when you see God lowering the boom, he's actually inviting them to see who he really is. No, there is seriousness in my heart regarding things that are broken, regarding disobedience, regarding disbelief. There's a seriousness there because the end game of disobedience and disbelief is death. So I'm serious about things. I'm serious about my design. But you also see tremendous generosity that even as God is lowering the boom, you get Genesis 3.15, the first gospel, where he says there's going to be this seed that's going to deal with the tension that exists between you and me, Christ Jesus. And he says the serpent, the snake, is going to bruise him, but this seed, this child, is going to crush him. That's the gospel. That's what we celebrated last week. That's what we celebrate every day for the rest of our lives. That's what we invite people into, to believe that glorious truth about God and what he does for our sake. It's disclosure, way more holy than we could ever imagine, way more generous and loving than we could dare hope for. Disclosure. But it's also through provision. Look, look, what, look what he did. Verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You see that? Their work was insufficient. In their hiding, they do what we all do. They cover up, cover up what's broken and try to create what we feel is lacking. That's, that's how we operate. And in their case, it was fig leaves because their, their sin and their shame was, was apparent. 
God says, man, I could provide for you better than you could provide for yourself. I'm showing you who I am. I'm showing you how much I love you. I'm disclosing my greatness. I'm disclosing my heart to elicit greater vulnerability. You don't have to pull away. You could draw near. My daughter, um, she's an artist. In fact, one of the highlights of my parenting is getting my kids to fall in love with Naruto. All right, it's like it's like a parenting win. Okay, um, this week I walked in on her and her uh, siblings coloring and drawing, and she was drawing and coloring this picture of Kakashi, Kakashi Sensei. All right, watch Naruto. And I was just floored by how good it was. And we just started talking and I knew, but I didn't know the extent of which she loved art. I mean, she's starting a podcast. She just loves art and she's only eight. But I was surprised because I investigated. Whoa, what is this that I see? What led you to draw that? In front of us is an opportunity to risk being surprised by God. But that comes on the back end of vulnerable investigation of what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in his. No matter who you are or where you are, the tendency to recoil when vulnerability is present It's astonishing, but the opportunity to risk and to investigate, oh, it could change everything. That's the prayer, that as we continue to expand and examine the things that may cause us to hide, the things that may cause us to run, as we expand and examine the various ways that God still comes and pursues, that what's cultivated is relational integrity and life in light of it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are God who pursues. Thank you that you keep coming even when it seems like we keep running. Thank you that we have the opportunity to be surprised by your greatness in this moment. God, I pray for the courage to investigate, to not shift into what's default within our hearts, which is recoiling when it seems like we're exposed. God, would you give us eyes and attentiveness to how you're working? in us, around us, so that we could investigate well and find life as a result of it. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen.